Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And here at FCBC, how do we say it, family? We live, we love, we serve. Take a seat for a second. I'm going to read this rather lengthy passage of Scripture. I don't want nobody catching a cramp when I'm reading. Y'all take a seat today. This has been uh, Women's History Month. And, and I got to say this, though. You know, sometimes there's some things we don't always publicly acknowledge. And it's not because we don't support it. You know, I, I, I want us, part of being a follower, I think, of the teachings of Jesus is that we live, in our words we just said, as visionaries. And part of being a visionary is to propel forth a vision of the future. A vision of the future where we don't need all these designations and labels and different titles, but we understand who we are as God's children equally, no matter who you are. There's a saying in the Tao Te Ching that says this, and this is very powerful. It says, when the whole is divided, the parts must be named. And then it says, we have too many names which means it's too much division in our day. But we celebrate Women's History Month primarily because, I mean, I remember years ago here at FCBC one night, some of you may remember, I was teaching TNT, and a gentleman, you know, clearly he was from a kind of different, older tradition, and he asked me a question. He said, Pastor Mike, he said, he said, why are there so many women in leadership at the church? You know. Yeah, I saw some of the women turn around and look at him that night. And then I shared him that I've shared many times. Most of our churches, about 75% of our churches are composed of women. And one of my mentors, teachers, Reverend Dr. Flora Wilson Bridges, and I took a class with her when I was in college at Morehouse called Women in the Bible. And she said, when you have churches, that are majority women, and yet women are not deacons. They're deaconess, which he called a glorified waitress. He said, and they can't hold any leadership positions but support every aspect of the church. She said, that's called taxation without representation. And so I told the brother that night, I said, when the composition of the church changes, then it will reflect the composition of the church. But as long as there are majority women who are in this church, the leadership of this church will reflect that. And so I thank God for all the leaders in this church who serve FCBC. I want to I I read a passage in the book of Joshua, the second chapter. And it's rather long, Joshua 2. And I won't be long for you today. Joshua 2, beginning at verse 1 through 13. That's right. I love the sound of babies in church, by the way. I always say, 
That's not only a sign of life. It says that God still trusts us. And so we thank God. Joshua 2, beginning at verse 1, going through the verse 13. Here's how it reads. And that's my granddaughter right there. It is. It is. Then Joshua, son of Nun. I mean, she's quiet the whole time until Pop Pop get up. Then Joshua, son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and spent the night there. The king of Jericho was told, some Israelites have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come only to search out the whole land. But the woman took the two men and hid them. Then she said, true. The men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when it was time to close the gate at dark, the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you can overtake them. She had, however, brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men pursued them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before they went to sleep, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and the dread of you has fallen on us and that all of the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom whom you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no courage left in any of us because of you. The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. Now, since I have dealt in kindly with you, swear to me by the Lord that you in turn will deal kindly with my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. The men said to her, Our life for yours, if you do not tell this business of ours, then we will deal kindly and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. Amen. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you and we honor you on this day. We are humbled by your presence, your presence, O oh God, in our lives. As always, God, thank you for being mindful of us. Thank you for loving on us and caring for us and pouring into us. God, we say thank you. God, we've come here today, yes, God, for many different reasons. Some came, O oh God, to see, some came to feel. But regardless of what drove us here, we're here in this sanctuary to honor you, O oh God. And again, we say thank you. Now, O oh God, let your word go to work on us. Open our minds and our hearts and our eyes that we might be receptive of your word. We love you, Lord. We honor you, God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to read a portion of that from verse 12. 
of Joshua 2. These are the words of Rahab. Now then, since I have dealt kindly with you, swear to me by the Lord that you in turn will deal kindly with my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. The men said to her, Our life for yours, if you do not tell this business of ours, then we will deal kindly and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. Amen. I want this morning to briefly speak from this subject, salvation from an unlikely place. Salvation from an unlikely place. Those of us who have paths that we're not proud of know what it is to carry certain weights of guilt. Again, those of us who have done things in our past that, well, we don't feel good about. Not only not felt good about, but then found ourselves often ridiculed by people who thought they knew us because they knew our narrative. Those people at times have a way of reminding us of those things we don't feel good about about ourselves. I know I'm not the only one who's felt that before. When, when, when you already feel the weight of past indiscretions or even past mistakes or poor choices or bad decisions that not only were just bad decisions, poor choices or things you did, but the truth is that sometimes those decisions, those choices actually reflected your state of mind at that time. They were a reflection of who you were. But they are not necessarily a, a projection of who you will be. The truth is, as I've said this often here, that all of us come from some story. And those stories are not always pristine and clear and neat and beautiful. Some of those stories are rough. The edges are rough. The story is rough. The narrative is hard. And, and we have been hardened by those narratives, hardened by those stories, by those things we've done and not proud of. There's one thing when you give yourself guilt. I've said that another thing, when other people make you feel bad about the poor choices, the decisions, or even who you were, but you always hope in the back of your mind that your family will understand. You want to believe that those who know you and know you best, who, who knew you before the poor decisions, the bad choices, even the life decisions, you want to believe that in the midst of all the things, the consequences you live with because of what you chose to do, that you could always have a place that you could call home with people who would love you unconditionally. That is the hope, that, that unconditional love would be met and you would meet it when you were around those who loved you, family. Now imagine then not only the weight you feel from the burden of your own guilt and from sometimes the hypocrisy of people who make you feel bad about what you've done, forgetting what they've done. And that's why to me, hypocrisy is always problematic. But then when your family becomes part of that, 
The people you would hope would nurture you back to life, nurture you back to wholeness, would always create a space where you were welcome with love when they begin to see you the way other people see you. They begin to measure you the way you measure yourself. Then the burden, the weight, and the pain becomes crippling. Have you ever felt that before? To feel the crippling weight of not only your guilt that you feel, but to come to spaces that you thought would be loving and those spaces have become loveless. And then you were made to feel unlovable. Oh, I know you may know that and feel that. I can't imagine maybe possibly, and the scriptures don't say this, but I know people a little bit. I can't imagine how Rahab must have felt and how Rahab's family must have felt. Everybody knew Rahab probably in her family's mind for all the wrong reasons. The scriptures make it clear that she won, they say, in the Midrash, in the Jewish, in the, the priestly text, it says that she was an innkeeper slash prostitute. Everybody knew about Rahab's house. Men in Jericho would go to Rahab's house and even visitors from afar would go to Rahab's house. Rahab's house was an inn slash brothel and again everybody had to know Rahab. I imagine that some people may have even stopped calling her Rahab and just referred to her as a prostitute there on the corner. In that house where from time to time men go and fulfill their fantasies, their pleasures, their some of their dreams. She became synonymous with what would have been considered her work, Rahab the prostitute. And I again can imagine what her family must have felt again that everybody knew their daughter, their sister for all the wrong reasons in their minds. I know that Rahab had to walk with that guilt and live with that guilt, not just the guilt possibly of what she's doing that clearly she's not moving out of in many ways, but knowing that she was possibly a disappointment to her family. That may be why they didn't love her the way that she would have wanted them to love her because they were disappointed in her because maybe in their mind she made some poor lifestyle choices. But what I know is that closed doors don't always stay closed. And I also know that some of the same people who may spurn you because of your decisions don't realize that they have to be careful when they reject you. Because sometimes the ones you reject becomes the one who delivers. Well, I hope you get that today. I'll say it again. That sometimes the ones you reject can be the very ones you need. And the very ones who find themselves making a way for you when you refuse to make a way for them. Oh, that's why I love that story, Alicia. I love this story because the transformation that Rahab, well, I don't know if she saw it, but the transformation that came her way came in a moment that she probably didn't even expect. 
You see, everybody in Jericho knew what was happening. The buzz was in the air. The Israelites were coming. They knew of the narratives. They heard the stories of what the Israelites had done. They knew the stories going way back, how they came out of Egypt some 40 years before and how the Israelites were able by the power of their God to defeat enemies all along the way. And they heard about the deliverance at the Red Sea and some might have peeked over the walls of Jericho and even saw in the distance how those same people were able to cross the Jordan River and they were headed in their direction because they also heard the story that these people were a chosen people, that these people were descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that these people had a promise from God and the promise they got from God was connected to the land that the people in Jericho were in. I love what Rachel tells the spies and said that when we heard you on the outskirts of the city, our hearts melted because we knew that meant one thing. That you were not just coming, but we know that you all don't travel without your God present. Oh, God, I got to stop there for a second. I mean, I got to just stop there for a second because somebody needs to know that today, that every now and again, you got to remind the people who don't really think highly of you, who may not think favorably of you, that when I come to the scene, I ain't coming by myself, that, that I walk with a history and a a journey with God that you don't just see me. You Well, no, you may actually see me, but you don't see the power that activates me behind me. You don't understand that through many dangers, toils, and snares, I've come to this point, and if it had not been for God, yeah, I wouldn't be here right now. And so, and so, yeah, they, we, we, we know that your God is here and that you all are about to do some things. And, and, and I love the story because, because, because Joshua sends two spies out to go, to go check and see what's going on in the city. This is a deep part. And I didn't plan on talking about this, but, 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 but Joshua sends out the spies to see if, the army is fortified, but, but, but what Joshua doesn't know is that the people's heart is already fearful. That, 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 that fighting has not already won, but fear has prevailed. They're afraid of what Israel might do. And so they get there and, and people see them. They see their Israelites. And, and the word goes to the king in Jericho that the Israelites are here. We saw two men in and we saw them go. And king, you know where they went. They went to Rahab's house. I know the king must have probably been thrown off. He was like, well, I thought they came to spy the land and they making a pit stop at Rahab's house. But they went to Rahab's house to hide, hide in the most obvious location in Jericho. And they get there and then the king's men come and they say and the king on the word of the king that they want the Israelites. And, and Rahab now makes the decision. And before the decision came, she had already hidden the men. She made a decision. I mean, think about this. This is Rahab. And people think they know Rahab. But just because you can see me doesn't mean you know me. They saw her, but that didn't mean they knew her. Just because you know my actions and maybe my actions are problematic for you doesn't mean you know my heart. It doesn't mean you see who I am. And, 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 and here's the danger. We do it all the time when we reduce people to what we see, but not what we know. Something in 
Rachel could not be defined the way people wanted to define her. She was bigger than how people wanted to reduce her. There is nothing worse than this radical, dysfunctional, destructive, and dangerous kind of reductionism that takes place when people try to minimize you to what they see without knowing a thing. Yeah, you make mistakes, and yeah, you made poor choices, but that is not the sum total of your life. You are bigger than those things, and don't you let anybody ever reduce you to the parts of your life that you may even be ashamed of, and every now and again, you got to remind people that I'm bigger than the things you see. You don't know me, because if you knew me, you would actually treat me a little bit different. If you knew me, you would act a little bit different towards me. I love it. People, when they see your life, they either form a nightmare or a dream. And the dream is connected to what they place upon you based on what they think they can't be. And then they try to make you the thing they want to be. They put you on a pedestal. They make a dream out of your life without really knowing the contours of your life. Or they make a nightmare of your life because they see you as a polar opposite of what they want to be, want to do. And so they don't just demonize you. They're demonizing the parts of themselves they don't like as well. And so most people see you. And again, they'll make you a dream or a nightmare man, not dependent on you, but based on where they stand at the moment. That's why you can't take people's opinions of you too seriously, because you don't know what is the impetus to their opinions, the motivation to their assumptions, and why they even see you the way they do. Here, they come in, and, and, and they're looking for the man, and Rahab made a decision. She is a Canaanite, but she makes a decision against what would be seemingly her best interest because she knew that there was another force at work. They come, where are the men? We know, we know they came here. And uh, Rahab, like, yeah, they came and they, and they, they bounced a little bit ago and <laughs> If you go now, you could catch them. You can catch them. They didn't leave too long ago. And they, their assumption is that, that Rahab would not lie to them. I mean, why would she? And she does. And, and this is the beauty to me in this moment. It goes back to what I said earlier. People have a tendency to make assumptions on sight, not knowledge. And, and, and in this space, when the men from the king leave, Rahab goes up for she hid them under the bundles of flax. What is deep is that many scholars say that, that they believe Rahab's, well, in some other cities where the brothel was, it was embedded into the very wall of the city. So part of what was fortifying was also a space of what you would call ill repute. Fortification and fantasy operate in the same space. 
Y'all get that when you get home later. <laughs> she goes up to the roof, and, and when she gets to the roof, she tells the man, listen, listen, I didn't sell you out. I didn't tell him you were here. Watch this. But I do have a request. We know you're coming. I know that you, your plan is to destroy the city. But, but I, 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 just, I just need you to reward what I've done for you. Now, here's where I'm really done. It gets interesting. Because you would think that Rahab's primary concern is self-preservation. Well, it is. But, but, but maybe, maybe, just yes, baby, maybe, maybe something else is at work. Maybe in doing this act, Rachel wanted to show that she wasn't just the thing they thought. Maybe Rachel, I'm not Rachel, Rahab believed that somehow there could be redemption in this moment. Maybe, maybe this one act could, could help eradicate all the negative narratives constructed about her. Oh yeah, we know that. We know what it is again to live under the weight of guilt and decisions we've made, but we also know what it feels like to be in pursuit of redemption. So that we no longer defined by those things. We, we want to engage in some redemptive acts and so that some internal healing could possibly take place. So, so redemption is definitely at work, but then watch this because it's also beautiful when the redemptive act can also be a salvific act. When redemption and salvation work together, something very powerful could take place. Renewal and restoration. Have you ever needed that in your life? To feel as though you were shifted in your spirit, that you experienced transformation and renewal and a new start, a new beginning. Yeah, I know you felt that before. I know you've desired that before. You want to be redeemed from the things you've done and set on a new course of possibility for who you can be. At the same time, it can happen. It can truly happen. I've seen it. I've experienced it. But here's the thing about that. Here's the beautiful thing about that. You can seek redemption and then desire salvation. But the real sign that you have been transformed is when this redemption and the salvation are not based on selfishness. It is based on the expansiveness of who you are. Oh, God, I just felt that. Now, you may not know why I felt that. I'm going to tell you why I felt that. I remember years ago, it's amazing how things come to you in the moment, right? That, 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 I'm going to repeat this again. You want redemption, transformation, and then you want to be set on a new course with expanded possibilities. Because it's one thing to be redeemed from the things you've done. It's another thing to experience the kind of transformation that sets you on a new path that you begin to shift your entire life. Right? Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. In the Hebrew, I remember this, Rahab means large and extensive. 
Think about that. Large and extensive. Let me just add some pieces. Large and expansive. Large and expansive possibilities, large dreams, large hopes, large desires, expansive. But you know how it is that you can start out with big dreams and those big dreams get destroyed because of poor choices. Oh, gosh. You've got to see this. It was like Rahab in this moment was trying to reclaim herself so that she could clearly lean into who she is not who she was she said listen remember me don't forget about me when y'all come in here spare me spare me and then here's the salvation the expansiveness of salvation means that you are not just seeking the welfare of yourself but the welfare of those you care about even if the welfare of those you care about is for people who no longer care about you When you come in and destroy the city, here's my request. Save me. Save my mother. Save my father. Save my brothers. Save my sisters. And the spies tell Rahab, as long as you keep this pact, your family will be all right. Now, you got to feel this moment. Rahab has just now created possibilities for herself, a future for herself, and a future for her family, maybe the same family who was ashamed and embarrassed by her. She does not treat them the way they treat. You're going to get this in a second. That's the sign that you've been redeemed. When you've been redeemed, you want to see other people redeemed and you want to see other people's lives expanded and you want to see other people's lives better. Because if you're redeemed and you're still selfish, that ain't redemption. But if you've been redeemed and you start wanting to see other people better, that means you didn't just get redemption, that you experienced salvation. Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, the story really ends there. But I got I to gotta use, you know, the priest said, they're sanctified imagination. Can you imagine when the deal was made, Alicia? I know Rahab ran to her parents' house. He said, I know you're scared because you hear Israelites are coming. And I know you're worried about the fact that these may be your last days. But I just made a deal with the folk you're afraid of. And I, and I know I haven't done many things that you may be proud of, but I did something today that made a way not just for me, but for y'all too. I, I made a choice today. And my choice will be your salvation. And her family had to think to themselves that they never thought that Rahab would be their personal savior in that moment. Oh, God, I love it. That's why when you read the story, the spies tell Rahab, listen, we coming. We're going to destroy the city. And he said, here's what you need to do. Get your family. Get them all in your house. Put a red cord outside of your door. Oh, God. 
so that we come and destroy the city. We won't touch your house. And as long as you got that red cord, y'all Bible people going to get this later, the red cord outside the door. Yeah. And as long as you put it outside the door, when we come through the city, guess what, Rahab? We're going to pass right over. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, you, you sitting here right now, there's a whole lot of us in here today who could testify about Passover where, where there was some stuff that should have destroyed you. But guess what? It, it passed. Is there anybody here today who knows what Passover really feels like? When some things that should have taken you out just passed over. Why? Because of you're no longer who you used to be. You've been redeemed. And you've experienced salvation. And sometimes you got to tell your enemies, your haters, and sometimes your family because they can be both. Here's what you tell them. Never permanently close the door on me. And even if you don't close it all the way, just leave it cracked a little bit. Leave a little space for me to come back because you never know that my return may be your salvation. Come on, stand on your feet today, beloved. Stand on your feet. Lord, have mercy. Mm. Listen, I want to pray. We're going to get out of here soon. I want to pray before we leave very specifically. I want to pray for the folk who are where Rahab was before those spies showed up. You live in between who you were and who you could be, but it's not clear yet. That possibility, that future is not clear yet. Now, let me give you a little bit more. I, I could have kept on going, but I know some of y'all got reservations. <laughs> you know what's deep about Rahab? This moment truly was her salvation. She went on to marry a man named Simon. She converted to Judaism, married an Israelite, had a son whose name was Boaz. You may know who that is. In fact, if 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 Rahab's story ended in the brothel, we might not know her. But when you read the book of James, they call Rahab righteous. When you look in the book of Hebrews 11, they call her, they rank her among the great lineage of the faithful with Abraham. And Rahab is listed. And then when you get to Matthew, something strange happens. Right there in the middle of the lineage of Jesus, 
Rahab. That that moment changed her life forever. If you're here today and you're living now, right now, between who you no longer were but the spies ain't visited your house yet. Metaphorically, the possibility has not arrived yet. I want you to come down today and let's talk to God together. This is not for everybody, but if you feel like you're in between, in between, yeah, you, you, you've been delivered from where you were, and now it's, it's not that it's over, but you're not sure. It doesn't appear. Now, I'm not inviting you to come down and I'm going to tell you what it looks like. I'm going to pray for your strength in this in-between space. Pray with you so that you remain strong and confident and clear. And most of all, you remain hopeful. Hopeful. Because guess what? I say it all the time. I'll say it again now. Your story is still being written. It's, it's no accident. I'm, I'm sitting here saying this. I'm looking at Brother Youssef. I mean, I can't imagine, but I can to a degree, how many moments feeling like giving up had to cross your mind, especially when you know you didn't do anything. But, but, but hope is a powerful thing. When you, when you believe deep down in your soul that it will not remain like this. Maybe that's where you are right now. You're not clear how the future will unfold, but you know it won't remain like this. So as you come today and those who have come, this is not an act of surrender. You walked up here strong today. Right? Because if people knew what it took to get you here right now, this morning, they would be amazed by your resilience and your fortitude. Sometimes folk don't know they're sitting next to the strongest human beings to ever live. Right out here. If people knew the things you had to endure, sustain, and survive, just to wake up halfway in your right mind, they would be blown away. Come on, let's talk to God. God, we thank you and we honor you today. First, God, for giving us this time. God, we come here standing in intercession for those who've come today. We pray with them, oh God, not for them, with them. We pray, oh God, for patience and continued strength in this season. Yeah, because sometimes, God, you already know when, when we're uncertain, it can be a difficult place to be. So God, we we remind them of their strength in the midst of the uncertainty, of their resolve in the midst of the uncertainty, their fortitude in the midst of the uncertainty, 
God, that you have been with them every step of the way. But more than that, they have made it to this point. They are here because at some point they refused to just stop existing and wanted to live. They didn't just want to survive, God. They want to live. So, God, in this moment, remind them that there is an expansive place for them. A large space, oh, God. And all they must do is continue to move forward in faith. And then every step of faith will begin to activate open doors, will activate opportunity, will activate the people who are supposed to be part of their lives. That as they continue to put one foot in front of the other in faith, that the universe will begin to conspire, oh God, on their behalf and with their resolve. God, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Pour into my sister right now. Pour into my brother right now. Pour into my family right now. Pour your love. Let your spirit fall fresh right now. Let your spirit move through every heart in this place right now. God, have your way right now. And do whatever you need to do with us and through us and for us to get the glory out of us, oh God. God, let you be glorified, oh God, in this moment through our lives. And we honor you. And we honor you. And we honor you, Lord. Thank you for loving on us right now. God, we can feel your love and we can feel your presence. God, thank you for reminding us that we do not walk this way alone. We love you, Lord. We honor you, God. And it's in your name we pray. And we say amen. 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 Come on, get somebody an elbow pump or a hug if you feel comfortable. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to seeing you next time.